Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this solo edition of the podcast, uh, which I normally brand as Fuck This Week episodes, uh, where I try to make sense of the senseless. There's no guest on these ones. Basically, I just go through the news. I just go through what's happening in the world, and then together we try to thrash it out, roast it a bit, try and have some fun, and just retain sanity that's that's really the only goal like retaining sanity is like goal one and then have some fun find some doom lols some gallows humor in it if we can that's that's very much secondary to retaining sanity in a world that appears completely devoid of it uh let's begin let's jump straight into it so um oh by the way just you know the sound quality the echo that you can hear is because uncharacteristically I'm in the city of London today. Normally I come up on a Thursday to do various meetings and stuff, but this week I'm up midweek, which means I'm not in the cushy confines of my cabin to record this in a super professional way. So if you're wondering, why does it sound like he's like down a side road in London? I am down a side road in London talking to myself like a fucking madman. Um, There's something in that, isn't it? It's like... Like, the world is so insane, the world is so devoid of sanity that I'm forced, dragged kicking and screaming to make these episodes for you and me to together retain our sanity. And yet, the method for me to do that is for me to talk to myself in public like a fucking lunatic. Um, It's kind of circular, isn't it? Uh, Anyway, let's jump into it. Um, What have we got in the news today? Uh, On the Daily Mirror, I thought I'd run through the newspaper uh, headlines. That's an easy way to do this, right? As I don't have my computer in front of me to to fuel uh, what I would normally talk about. Um, First one, uh, Daily Mirror are covering this uh, Rwanda flight, which I've been talking about a lot on my TikTok the last few days, about how fucking weird it is that we have, in the same week we've got a law breaking like you don't even have to say like allegedly but like it's self-evident how this government have broken the law how boris johnson has broken the law internationally and proroguing parliament domestically uh and for the party gate shit like he's literally (laughs) a law-breaking british prime minister so and and so by um by proxy his government are a law-breaking government right so we have a law-breaking government who are about to try to break international law again with the Northern Ireland Protocol, who are now treating refugees who stay within the confines of international law, remember, it's totally legal for them to arrive here and claim asylum, and yet we're looking at them like they've done something wrong, like, oh, you shouldn't be here, we need to ship you off, what you're doing is wrong, and yet the people who are saying that are the people who have broken international law. Like, the whole thing is fucking arse-backwards, it's so weird. And it's even weirder that this shit is happening in the same week. The Northern Ireland Protocol, breaking international law, reneging on our own commitments on the international stage, making ourselves a geopolitical laughingstock. That happening at exactly the same time as we're looking at asylum seekers and going, right, you need to, you need to fuck off. And weirdly, now breaking international law again, it appears, because... Uh, the European Court of Human Rights, or the U- is it European Convention of Human Rights, have stepped in last minute and grounded that flight and said, you're not allowed to do this. So, it, I mean, had they continued with it, they would have been breaking international law a fucking again. So it's all very, uh, it's just a weird week. Strange time to be in Britain. I think Ian Dunt, 
really nailed it this morning. I saw a couple of tweets from him where he said that he, he's woken up sort of ashamed to be British, that we're, that we're living in Britain at a time where there is no respect for laws that we... I mean, I'm paraphrasing a bit. He didn't say all of this shit. Uh, but we're living in, in the UK at a time where he, basically he's fed up of waking up feeling ashamed of where he's living and the government that, that are ruling us. And I, I have to say I feel exactly the same. I'm so tired, and maybe you are as well, of Team Johnson uh, not attempting to build anything but instead destroying things, you know? Like, it's easy to just smash things to pieces and go, look, I've made a change. I've changed something by breaking this. And, you know, that's so much easier and more cowardly than actually attempting to build something and build solutions and improve lives and services and, you know? And it's so tiring, I think, when this has been going on for, like, how long now? You know, two, two years, is it, since he got in the 2019 election? And it's still going on. Like, anything that gets in their way, whether it is Parliament in the Brexit debates uh, or whether it was uh, the judiciary with um, the Attorney General or now it's the uh, European Convention of Human Rights, like, whatever it is, whether it's lefty lawyers or, you know, whoever it is that temporarily obstructs them from doing whatever they like, that becomes the next victim or the next target for being dismantled, disposed of. What was the other example we saw with it? It was um, uh, the uh, Parliamentary Standards Committee got in the way of the second jobs row, right, with, uh, with Patterson when he was trying to lobby on behalf of his donor or his second job's employer or something, something along those lines, wasn't it? It escapes me now. It was only about six months ago, and it's, but because so much has happened, so much chaos and dismantling and destroying takes place so quickly, it just sort of, I don't know, it like disappears into the, the, like the further reaches of your memory, I find. It's like being married to somebody who's just a relentless asshole, you know, and just calamity after chaos, after lie, after infidelity. All of these things happen. They steal money off you. They punched your mum in the face. They lied to your friends. They told someone a secret that they weren't supposed to. But, but you know, by the end of it, or by the end of it, by like 10 or 15 or 20 times that they've embarrassed you or humiliated you or beat you up or something, it all just sort of fades into the distance, I guess. I guess that's the sort of nature of, uh, of, of being abused, isn't it? It's sort of, you know, they just wear you down to the point where it all kind of vagues and beiges and muddies into this kind of, yeah, like, grey periphery of, like, yeah, I, oh, I don't even remember what that was about, but uh, I guess, you know? <laughs> like, so now I'm having trouble even remembering the, the attempted dismantling of the Standards Committee, and that in itself was a huge scandal. That was when... That was... When was that? That was about November or December time. And that was when the Tories first dipped under Labour in the polling. That was when they first took a hit and it went to something like Labour on 35, Tories on, you know, 29 or something. Um, anyway, let's move on. So that's, that's what the Mirror are covering today. Uh, uh, they're saying it's, it, it was an immoral £500,000 Tory stunt and it collapsed after legal challenges. I think that's what's... 
kind of bewildering to those of us with something close to resembling a brain. That's what's kind of bewildering about it is it's like, you know, here you've got the home office and you've got Pretty Patel. And to some extent, you can say Pretty Patel has failed upwards. You know, she was on Question Time about 10 years ago saying that the death penalty should be considered as a deterrent. And Ian Hislop famously or infamously, uh, depending on your political leanings, uh, Ian Hislop corrected her and said all of this shit about reintroducing the death penalty as a deterrent is nonsense. It's been proven time and again. It doesn't work as a deterrent. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do... So you're talking nonsense. And she was kind of put back in a box, right? Now, that kind of, I think, to my mind, should have been the end of her political career. To go on a national uh, political show like Question Time and to grandstand like that, to, uh, to hold up something as visceral as the death penalty and say, this is what I stand for, this is a policy I could get behind. And at, at first entry onto the political stage, I don't really remember much about Pretty Patel before that, although I wasn't so into politics then, so I don't know. But that was the first time I became aware of her, I think. And he just completely, you know, what's the phrase on the internet? Like, uh, when they go, so-and-so destroys person you know it felt it felt like that like in his stop took what she said dismantled it and put her back in a box that kind of should have been the end of pretty patel but it wasn't and then when she worked for theresa may in the cabinet uh she was caught having secret meetings with foreign states and theresa may fired her for it or pushed her to resign that should have been the end of her career uh then she came back as home secretary <laughs> under boris johnson and she lost 500,000 criminal records. 500,000! Because of an IT cost-cutting venture that she put in, that she was warned may result in X, Y, Z. And lo and behold, it did. So on her watch, the buck stops with her. On her watch, uh, she lost 500,000 criminal records. Um, and that's before we even get into the bullying report. <laughs> Like, all of these things, this succession of things that should have ended her career. And now, we're, like, and I'm sure there's another two or three that I'm forgetting, but now we're in a situation where her, another one of her ideas, another one of her big policies has ground to a halt because, get this, right, she's, you could say that she's failed upwards and that she's in over her head, that she's the walking embodiment of the fucking Peter Principle, which if you're not familiar with that, go and look it up. There's just a big picture of Pretty Patel next to it and maybe Theresa May. She's in over her head. She's been over-promoted and she's stuck in the job that she's shit at. That's the, that's the basics of what the Peter Principle is. Uh, even if you accept that she's shit, you would assume that the people that are surrounding her would advise her and say, this, this is, look, I know, Miss Patel, I know, I know you really want to do this for nefarious reasons and cynical reasons. You think that male readers and express readers will, will think that you're, you, you know, you've got big balls. Oh, I like her. She's got balls. You know, she's, uh, she's bold. And, you know, that's what we need is a decision maker. Someone who's actually going to implement a policy that we, you know, where we can affect change to do with immigration and refugees and so on. I know that that's the reason that you want to do this shit, but actually it's not workable, and here's the reasons why. You know, you would think there might be a team around her that would advise her like that. Just temper the rabid, frothing, tabloid-chasing frenzy that she gets herself in. But you don't get that, I don't think. I think what you get is 
a Tory government full of sycophants, people like Patel, who are willing to toe the Brexit line, who are willing to publicly support Boris Johnson, no matter how many knots he ties himself in. Uh, and, and so then they have... So they're the sycophants, people like Patel, right? And then around them, they either have more sycophants or people that she's bullied... <laughs> who would have stood up to her and gone, I don't know if you want to do... And then she threw a fucking mobile phone at them and they, you know, had a heart attack or a stroke or something on the office floor. Oh, fuck, fuck that. I'm not saying no to her again. She's got people like that. Or she's got civil servants who the government have demonised and belittled and bullied in their own way. You know, try to get them to come back to the office. They can't work from home. They're being lazy. We're going to get rid of 90,000 of them. We're going to, you know... And so what you end up with is this sort of siloed, you know, isolated sycophant in Pretty Patel uh, implementing policies that traditionally she would have had tempered by various people and now they are untempered. And what results is a grounded plane that can't take off because the policy is unworkable. And yet journalists and opposing politicians and presumably civil servants and, and others and people like you and me on Twitter or TikTok have been saying for like, what, two, three weeks, this is unworkable, it's not cost effective, it's immoral. But the, the key thing there is it's unworkable. And you have to be something of a fantasist to think that there wouldn't be lawyers or civil servants around her that would be aware that a measure like this was likely to be paused off the back of breaching the European Convention of, of Human Rights. Like, it seems quite likely that somebody within the Home Office would have been aware that a policy like shipping asylum seekers off to a foreign country rather than actually treating them like asylum seekers, it seems quite, I think, quite plausible that lawyers would have gone, hang on a second, I don't think we can do this. I think this would breach the European Convention of Human Rights and we can't leave that because we're tied into it with a Good Friday Agreement. You would think somebody would be there aware of that. So this is entirely a, a, a fuck-up of her making. I remember tweeting, it must be a couple of years ago now, I remember tweeting saying, one of the few benefits of seeing self-serving cretins like Boris Johnson, I think I was talking about at the time. One of the few benefits of seeing people like that rise to positions of political power is that, yes, you have to deal with their fuckery and their self-serving, sociopathic uh, careerism and sycophancy. Yes, you have to deal with that. And that's really frustrating. And a lot of the times it manifests as cruel and unusual and authoritarian policy. But a lot of the time, because of the nature of, of who they are, of what they are, the fact that they're self-serving, the fact that they only look out for number one, the fact that they've been over-promoted because we need someone to support Brexit, we only want ministers who support Brexit, because they've been promoted to, to those positions for the wrong reasons, because there's such a dearth of talent and nobody's willing to say no to anyone, one of the few benefits of having people like that in these positions is that they are destined to make fuck-up after fuck-up after fuck-up. And that's kind of been self-evident. Like, I very rarely, I think, you know, pat myself on the back on these podcasts and say, oh, look how right I was. But that is one thing I can actually take strength in, is, like, a couple of years ago, I did say, 
I don't think I have any confidence in any of this cabinet because when you promote people to these levels, purely on the back of like loyalty to the world king, you know, bow down and kiss, bow down and kiss the Boris ring, and thou'st will be uh, blessed with a position in my at my holy court of fucking cabinet fuckery. You know, I'm babbling a bit. I know, I know. Uh, but that was that was genuinely a thing I, I tweeted out. I'll see if I can dig it out. If I get five minutes to myself this afternoon. Very busy day today. Um, anyway, we've been focusing on this, uh, this mirror uh, headline and uh, uh, the grounded Rwanda flight for, uh, for the last few minutes. So let's move on. Um, the Times is also covering the same story, unsurprisingly. It's a big one. Um, European judges block deportations to Rwanda. So that's a slightly more sort of, you know, throwing red meat to the mail readers, the express readers, kind of different rhetoric of it, isn't it? The, the Mirror are looking at it like it's a fabulous waste of money, 500 grand for an unworkable plan. The Times, which is sort of, you know, centre-right, are going for European judges block deportations to Rwanda because they know that people on the right want some excuse to bash Europe. They want some way of wrapping this problem around Europe and Europeans and making this an us versus them kind of story. And they will succeed. If you go into the pub tonight, you will hear people that look like Piers Morgan or Nick Ferrari or, you know, that sort of slightly chubby to bloated, pink-cheeked, alt-right, if not fully conservative, in his 50s kind of bellend. Just an unforgivable, ale-swilling cunt that will be there propping up the bar and he'll say shit along the lines of, oh, it's bloody European judges, isn't it? Why are they interfering? Why are they meddling? They're always meddling, bloody Europeans. You know, and they will conflate the European Convention of Human Rights with the EU, which, of course, you know, people like you and I know that they are separate <laughs> and they're nothing to do with each other. Uh, but that won't stop them. They will, you know, because of headlines like this, where it's designed deliberately to sort of make it murky, merge the two, just put it all under a European umbrella so we've got us versus them. So it further fuels that kind of anti-EU, anti-Europe, we'll go it alone, we're Britain, we know best, that kind of culture war. Um, let's move on, let's go on to the mail. Oh my Lord, are we ready for this? Let's see how the mail are handling their shit today. Uh, the Mail are my favourite go-to paper when I want to see how sociopaths shit their tits, how they really publicly soil themselves when something doesn't go their way. You know, it's like, it's like deliberately prodding the bear if the bear is your dad at Christmas dinner and you just keep dropping little comments in, <laughs> into the Christmas dinner chat just to, to you know, just to wind him up. <laughs> just, to, you know... Just keep flowering the conversation with, like, little liberal tidbits. Like, yeah, well, you know, my best friend's trans and I oh, blah, oh, blah, bloody love her. And then, you know, just to see him slow, like, oh, I don't know what all this trans right stuff is about when I was a lad. That a woman was a woman and a man was a man. Oh, what are you kids today? You know, just keep peppering the conversation with other shit that's going to wind him up until finally he explodes. The male is like the equivalent of that. So let's look at the mail. So grounded Rwandan flight as a result of Pretty Patel not knowing her stuff, 
the latest in a series of her fuck-ups, entirely not fit for that job, in over her head, entirely pretty Patel's Pate fault, and more broadly speaking, Boris Johnson's fault, because he hired her. Let's see how the male handle it. Are they willing to take it on the chin? Here we go. Euro court grounds jet to Rwanda. Oh, my Lord. It's a, it's a Euro court. 7.36 a.m. A boatload of migrants sails perilously close to a giant oil tanker in the channel. Oh, my Lord. So the way that they're positioning this is that they're looking out for the dangerous migrants crossing the channel. Well, that's what all of this is about. It's not that the male are horrendously racist and constantly hype up a sort of xenophobic, uh, ridiculous, outdated attitude and demonization of... Uh, of people with darker skin colours. It's, it's not that they have a chequered history of actually supporting the Nazis back in the fucking 30s and 40s. It is that the male care about people setting sail in treacherous waters. They're just trying to save lives, guys. They're just trying to be nice. I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear the words Daily Mail, I instinctively get connotations of niceness and cuddles, teddy bears... Unicorns and rainbows. What, like, what do you get? What do you get when I say Daily Mail? When I say Daily Mail to you, what are the first three words that come to your mind? Is it not teddy bears, unicorns and rainbows? Because if it's anything other than that, you are a cold-hearted cynic and I feel sorry for you. Because uh, that's what they're about. They care about treacherous waters, a boatload of migrants that sail perilously close to a giant oil tanker in the channel. That was at 7.36 a.m. And at 10.05 p.m. on the same day, UK plan to end this deadly trade is scuppered by meddling judges in Strasbourg. Meddling judges. Meddling judges and Euro court grounds jet to Rwanda. It's... Like, the language is so weird and detached and warped it's like in the daily mail reader's mind there's a, a group an evil group of european judges probably german uh in a bunker somewhere in a dark dimly lit bunker like concocting a plan plotting if you will they're all in, in a basement somewhere and they're laughing like <laughs> how can we quote scupper this latest plan by the UK. How can we punish them for Brexit? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's like, the, it, it sort of plays on cliche, doesn't it? Like this idea of evil European judges, European courts, Eurocourt grounds jet to Rwanda. And really we're looking out for the people in the treacherous waters, but this Eurocourt and meddling judges, like they're, they're in the bunker, they're meddling, they're plotting, they're trying to find a way to scupper our plans. When in actual fact, let me just fucking wake you up from that fantasy for a second. There is a European Convention of Human Rights. It says that you can't do certain things. Everyone has a right to be able to claim asylum in a country of their choosing when they wash up on the shore or if they land or get here in the back of a lorry, they can say, I'm not allowed back in my home country because I'm gay, or I would be persecuted for this reason. Or, and when they're here, they have to be able to stay here, and there's various rules and frameworks, and, and we sit within that. 
because we helped to architect it. Because <laughs> we're the fucking authors of the politics. It's got fuck all to do with like, oh, a load of Euro judges implementing, controlling and meddling. This is our fucking law that we helped write in the 1950s. And they're like, oh, meddling. You know, it's not a, a bunker of European judges laughing evilly. It's like, it's a document that we signed up to. And then, yes, there are some European lawyers, probably somewhere by the sounds of it in Strasbourg or Brussels. And it's their job to interpret this shit and communicate it back to places like the Home Office. And if the Home Office had any fucking talent, instead of being populated by a group of sycophants and or aggrieved civil servants, if they actually had some people there who were consultative and like performing analysis and uh, providing guidance to people like Priti Patel, then they would be in a position to say, yeah, we've communicated with Strasbourg, with our European counterparts, and they say that this isn't workable. So, you know what, let's work out a solution that does actually work and sits within the frameworks of uh, the European Convention of Human Rights. And, you know, let's, let's sort it out together. You know, that's how it should work. But it didn't work like that. We stepped outside of the framework. We said, this is what we're doing and fuck everyone else. And then at the last minute, People were like, you know, if you do that, you're breaking the ECHR. You understand that, right? And at that moment, the Home Office were like, ah, bugger, they've got us. They've got us by the short and curlies, those clever bastards. How do they keep scuppering our plan? How do they keep plotting? It's like nobody's plotting, nobody's scuppering. It's like if I, I'm trying to think of a metaphor for this. It's like I sign a contract for a car lease and the lease says I got to pay 250 quid a month for four years which is actually not too different from my actual car lease agreement so there we go my metaphors are not the most imaginative clearly so I sign an agreement for four years 250 quid a month I have to I got to stick to that right now if I start banging about my pub and my friendship circle and you know if I still had a friendship circle uh if I start then telling everyone, like, oh, I don't care what it says on the thing, like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to pay £200 a month because I can, it's the cost of living crisis. I could really use that extra 50 quid a month. So 200 quid a month, that's what they're getting. And then the, the, the last minute when I'm about to, you know, implement that change to the standing order and I communicate it to the car lease company, yeah, you're only getting 200 quid a month from me now. They're going to say, uh, no, you signed it. You signed the paperwork, you idiot, to say 250. Otherwise, it doesn't add up. Like, we've worked this out. 250 quid times 48 months, or whatever it is, equals the value of the thing that we've deducted from the asset and blah, you know. You can't just, you can't just step outside of an agreement and then go, yeah, this is what I'm doing. That's not how real life works. You know? And then I don't get to go around my friendship circle and go... Oh, they scuppered my plans. No, no, nobody scuppered it. You're just being a bellend. This is the thing, like, I, I despair at the communications piece of British politics. That's the thing that gets me. It's like, all of this is so simple to me and to you, maybe, and to, like, our friends and people that we work with. We, we watch the news, we read the headlines, and we're like, well, yeah, you fucked it up. Like, why? You should have seen this coming a mile off. Like, are you retarded? Like, what's, what's going on? 
But to most people out there who don't obsess over politics, who don't, you know, I, I always say this, I know, maybe I'm repeating myself to some extent, but to most people, their intel of the political discourse starts and finishes at, I walked into the 24-hour garage and I walked past the newsstand. And on the newsstand, uh, I saw the Daily Mail, the Sun and the Express and the Telegraph, and they were all fucking frothing about this grounded Rwanda flight. And that's it. All they'll see is the headline. They won't read the first three paragraphs or get down to the context or the little tiny line towards the end of it where it says, uh, an opposing MP or a member of the opposition suggested that Priti Patel should have seen this coming. Like, you know, because they, they have a duty in print journalism to at least uh, attempt balance somewhere in there. Right. So they will, there will usually be something, even in the mail, you know, five or seven paragraphs deep. They'll have a try at balance, at neutrality in some, even if it's, you know, incredibly veiled and, and they use metaphor for it and, you know, try their best to bury it somewhere. Uh, there'll be something in there about, you know, a Labour MP said that blah, blah, blah. But for most people, that's their experience of, uh, of political discourse, of, of, of politics news, of what's going on in the world, is they just walk in the garage, they catch a quick glimpse of the, of the headline, and that's enough. Then they're in the pub that night going like, whoa, bloody Europe, meddling and scuppering, scuppering and meddling European judges from Europe. Oh, I hate them. You know, this is why we voted Brexit, because we wanted out. I don't, I don't understand how we voted Brexit, but we've still got this fucking European core. Whoa! You know, that's most people. And I despair at it because it's like, how can it be right that we've got this, this communications piece, this sort of, you know, this suite of tabloids and newspapers that operate as a conduit for most people and yet they funnel out misinformation? Like, how, how can that be right? That in 2022, the main source of news information, updates, alerts, comes from tabloids who are so fucking biased and so, like, rooted in, in, like, the billionaire class and the interests of the billionaire class that all of their information, their politics, updates, that their, their opinions are funneled to them through tabloids. Like, that can't be... That can't be right, can it? It just seems bizarre to me. But it's like, even addressing it, even trying to sort of raise that as an issue, yields its own problems. Because if you talk to somebody, if you say to your Uncle Ron, because as soon, as soon as I say Uncle Ron, we all have the same mental image, which is kind of funny. Like, if I say... Yeah, you know, you talk to your Uncle Ron. Immediately, do you think of somebody who would have been a contestant on, like, Bullseye? You know, sort of, like, fat, bald, a bit red-faced from years of booze, probably some sort of checkered shirt, or even a T-shirt that says Bullseye on it. You know, just a sort of bloated-out 60-year-old white man. That's kind of what I'm getting in my head when I say Uncle Ron. But most, most of the time, if you talk to somebody like your Uncle Ron and you say... Well, you know, I, I think that the newspapers dictate a lot of people's thoughts. I think most people voted Brexit. 
uh, and continue to support plans like the Rwanda policy because they're spoon-fed their opinions by the Daily Mail and the Sun and so on. I think your Uncle Ron would take issue with that. I think people like Uncle Ron would think that they were too smart to be brainwashed, that they can form their own opinions, that they haven't been led up the garden path, that they're not being manipulated. But actually, they are. And that's a difficult thing for Uncle Ron to wrap his head around. Not least because if he lacks the cognitive ability and the mental capacity to understand that he has been brainwashed, he probably will also lack the cognitive ability to leave his ego at the door and say, yeah, okay, it's possible I may have been manipulated. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of... It's the nature of radicalising people. It's like, I'm too smart to be brainwashed. I could never be brainwashed. I could never be manipulated. That's a difficult thing to to educate someone out of. Like, yes, you could be. If people provided you information subtly over the right space of time, in the right context, and it wasn't too wild to begin with, then gradually over years, maybe a decade, you could find yourself in a position where you cheer on the most desperate people in society being herded onto a train in handcuffs and flown away to fucking Rwanda. Like it's... Like, who would have thought 10 years ago? Where are we now? 2022. So back to the Olympics, which itself feels like a cliche like reference now, doesn't it? How many people say, like, oh, you know, I remember back at the Olympics, it felt so good, you know. We were, you know, so it was a time of unity and pride, and, and now look at us. Like, how many times have you heard that shit? But honestly, if we go back 10 years, feels like 20, doesn't it? Go back to the Olympics and think... What, what you were like then, what your friends were like then, and colleagues and family members, what their attitudes were to stuff. And now look at them, the same people, like what their beliefs are now. I could probably handpick like five people off the top of my head who around that time would have classed themselves as probably quite liberal, if not lefties, you know, socially conscious, city liberals, would have voted Labour, if not Lib Dem, uh, you know, had an issue with the Tories, who would have got in two, two years earlier, um, but definitely not Eurosceptics, definitely not uh, jab sceptics, you know? <laughs> like, how far have we fallen that these same people that we used to go for a beer with, or family members that we used to enjoy turkey with and talk shit, over, over, like at Christmas, that they've slowly become radicalized. Like, I often think, what would they think if you could go back in time, like 20 years, and you could sort of take them forward 20 years, you could go, this is you in 20 years, you're not gonna fucking believe this shit. And you travel them forward to 2022, and you go, that's you, over there. And there they are, in the street, with a sandwich board hooked over them, going, vaccine equals 5G, and I hate the EU. And, like, wouldn't they be like, oh, my God, what the fuck happened to me? What? Who, who, who washed my brain, you know? Like, who, who fucking got in my head, shat in it, and then sewed it shut again? Now I'm walking around with shit for brains, telling people that the EU is some overarching death star, and I, I want no part of it, you know? whilst cheering on Rwandan, cheering on Rwandan? Whilst cheering on, you know, desperate Iranians or, you know, gay Afghans or, you know, being herded onto the plane. What happened to me? 
I don't know what to tell you, you know, it's, you fucking, you read a few editions of The Sun, you, you decided to try talk TV for a week, <laughs> instead of, instead of, dare I say, even LBC, which has its moments of being somewhat liberal. You flipped to the other side and there was no saving you. We tried. Jesus. How do I, how do I stop this? How do I, well, I don't know, man. Just fucking take a break from the news for 10 years. I think most people would think that they're too smart to be brainwashed like that, but it's kind of one of the cruel ironies, I think, of life, politics, and the modern world is that the people who accept that they could be brainwashed and the ones who can leave their ego at the door and they can say, in the right context, I could be manipulated, I accept that. Those people that say that shit are never the ones who like tip over and you know dip their toe into talk TV and listen to James Whale and wank over the Jeremy Vine show. And you know, like it's never those people. It's always the people who have a super high opinion of themselves and are not objective and cannot leave their ego at the door. It's always those people that you really need to convince that they could be manipulated. And they're like, nah, 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 not me. Too smart, mate, too smart. Really? Yeah, yeah, I've never been manipulated by anyone. All right, okay. Wonderful. Fucking wonderful. Yeah, I've got it all figured out. All figured out, Aid. You can't convince me I could be brainwashed. Cool, okay. And yet, they got it all figured out. They know that 5G equals COVID. They know that the EU is evil. They know that uh, refugees should be shipped off to Rwanda. And yet, at the same time, you look down at the floor. Oh, what's that? An unpaid water bill. Like, they figured out everything. They're certain about everything. And yet, in my experience, maybe this sounds a bit bullyish. I don't know. A bit judgmental. But in my experience, the ones who are so certain about all of this shit, their actual lives? Utter fucking chaos. You know, them personally, like their financial situation, their romantic situations, complete lunacy. Either they are on the, like, uh, the outward end of a chaotic relationship or a relationship with somebody that's gone incredibly sour that they desperately need to end uh, or they're enveloping in debt or, you know, and so these causes that they wrap themselves in become like the cause it gives them purpose it gives them uh it's like something to get involved in something to feel like you matter like what you're doing matters like you're no longer just a bit part that's enveloping in debt that should break up with your girlfriend but you can't bring yourself to you're no longer that guy what you are instead is some sort of you know twitter freedom fighter and you got a hundred retweets when you said uh, ever since I've had my COVID jab, I've, I've, uh, I get these strange alien signals coming into my brain. Oh, fucking really? Now you're that guy and people retweet you and you feel like you've got purpose. And I really, like, there's something in that. I think when your life is chaos and you don't have an, a huge amount of control of it, I wonder if there's something in that that pushes you towards something where it feels like you do have a bit of control. Like what you're saying does matter and it, it could make change, or you are changing people's opinions, or you are, I don't know, getting favorites and likes and shares. I think that's a big thing. I, I know this episode hasn't been that funny. I'm sorry, guys, but, uh, but I think that's, I think that's a, a big thing with like home ownership. I tapped into this a little bit uh, the other night. I think, I think it was on the podcast, or it might have been after we stopped streaming. But I was saying like, 
this is a big thing with home ownership is that when people have bought a house, they've got a mortgage, they've got a stake in society. But when people are renting, there's an insecurity to that. They, they're not on solid ground. They don't have the same feeling of like, well, I've just got to go to work, pay my bills, and then I've got, uh, and then I've got a stake in society. I've got the house. I've just got to keep hold of the house, be obedient, go to work, stay on. You know, if you're renting and your rent goes up constantly and there's always this fear that you might have to move house in six months and, you know, that is an insecure place to be. And I think there's something mental, you know, psychological that happens with that, that when you've got huge swathes of the population privately renting without a stake in society who are fed up having more and more of their cash taken away from them in spiking petrol prices or electricity or food prices or tax rises or I think you get into a situation where those people are quite volatile and desperate to be heard and desperate to make their case and I think that's a big part. I mean, social media is a huge part of it also, but I think that's a big part of why in the last 10, 15 years, you've seen such a spike in division and political tribalism because people are not on secure ground. They don't own a house. They, you know, if things get pulled out from underneath them, they could riot. And yeah, look guys, I've been rabbiting away for a while now. I hope there's been at least a couple of... Um, couple of, uh, of gems of, uh, of knowledge or analysis in there. Um, uh, this, this has been a, a solo episode of the podcast um, brought to you live from the belly of the beast, the city of London. Um, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to pre-record an episode with a guy um, and I'm super excited about it. Uh, we're going to be talking about politics and uh, his involvement in um, some, like, uh, what's it called? Sorry, complete mind, mind blank now. His involvement in uh, tactical voting and um, swap my vote and and some of these other initiatives which are quite exciting could change the way that the electoral map performs um but we're also going to be talking about his career in television i'm not going to name him you just have to wait uh but i'm super excited about recording it um so i'm going to do that tomorrow and then i'll put it on friday on patreon uh, for the Patreons. I'm trying to get up to the first 10 supporters, guys, on Patreon. The first two have gone already, so that's good. I've got two slots that have gone, uh, so I've got eight more to go, and then once we get to 10, we're going to have a piss-up in London, and those Patreons will be invited to that night. Uh, I'll book a, a little function room somewhere, and we'll probably spend the evening talking shit about Tories. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that when that happens. If you would like to come to that event, then jump on the Patreon now, patreon.com slash aidthompson. Um, and there's three tiers on there that you can select. Um, there's a super cheap one. I think it's 250 or three quid a month um, just to support the podcast and the blog. Um, and then there's a slightly higher one, which is, I think, five quid a month. Uh, and then I had to do three. So I did like a 750 a month. But honestly, nobody is going to pay you 750 a month i'm not expecting you to so that's fine if you're not in a position to support via patreon i get it that's fine it's a weird time for everyone you know i've spoken about uh, petrol costs electricity prices um drugs are getting more expensive uh so uh that's fine you know you don't have to to uh, to support via patreon um all of the podcasts go out to patreons first but then they go on to spotify and apple uh, three days later so you're always going to get the podcast uh, for free that's fine um but it does go out to patreons first 
I think that's fair. That's a happy medium, right? That's a good model. Um, so, yeah, I'll be back Friday night uh, for the Patreon one uh, with my guest. And I'll be back next week for another solo episode. Or fuck this week! Where I'll put the world to rights. I hope this has been okay. I hope it's been interesting for you. Uh, I'll catch up with you all soon. Thanks very much. And we outie.